Hi, my name is David Speed. And I'm Adam Brazier. And this is the Creative Rebels podcast. Featuring inspirational stories and practical advice from some of the most prolific and successful creators in the world. Adam and I have co-founded multiple creative businesses and turned our varied passions into our careers. There's never been a better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people will tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to show you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Been a bit of a busy week, isn't it? We were really kind of worried at the start of COVID that everything would just completely stop. But then after we kind of had that first sit down to kind of work out what our plans were, what we were going to do, I feel like I've like I've probably been working more now than I have normally because yeah. I don't have a commute. Like I literally, my commute is from where I'm sat now to literally <laughs> three foot to my left. Like it's just roll out of bed, go get coffee, sit on my desk. And then I just, I'm just there until like the evening. The advertising industry has decided that they're doing COVID up until like August and then they're not doing it anymore because like we've had loads of clients getting, getting in touch, talking about stuff that they're going to be doing in sort of August, September. Um, so we, yeah, we've just been putting together a load of pitch decks for people, which is like, which has been cool because we've been brainstorming with our team through Zoom um, and everyone's throwing ideas forward and like, yeah, it's been fun, man. Yeah, I mean, they're saying now, aren't they, that so many people are going to be working from home once this is all over because so many businesses will have seen how productive it can be. Yeah, interestingly, I was listening to a podcast earlier and they were talking it's with a bunch of creatives and they were basically saying that, the way that a lot of these big companies work is they have certain budgets to spend every year. And if they don't spend those budgets and they don't get them the next year. So as soon as they're allowed out, there's going to be a shit ton of work just flowing everyone's way because they need to get that out as quick as possible because they need to get the same amount of money the next year too. Yeah. At the moment, it's just a case of there is definitely money out there. You've just got to go and look for it. Yeah. It's probably um, just in a different place to where you've looked before. Yeah, exactly. I mean, coming out of this, the already France have declared that they're in a recession. I would imagine that we will probably dip into a recession as well. So it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a real test of of those that are the best at what they do mm-hmm. are going to be fine. Yeah. Like if you if you've got a good product, if there's something that you do really well that other people don't necessarily do or that don't do to the level that you do, then coming out of this, you've got a great chance of of doing being really successful. So if you're not at that level, then use this time to like sharpen your skills and just get really good at something. Yeah, I think learning in this point is so essential. Like you've got the time to do it more than you have would have normally. And there are so many free classes and free courses being like thrown out there at the moment. I constantly get emails through my, to my inbox at the moment that are from people's newsletters that I've signed up to in the past and are offering like 50% off their courses. So it's like, it's probably the cheapest time if you've got spare money to spend on that to be able to invest in like learning to teach yourself stuff. And I think on that topic of teaching, like I've been to speaking to a few people recently who have started teaching online for money they've basically yeah. they've got the skills and they've had to reevaluate their business like if their business is an events based business and they now can't go and do those events then that was everything that they had so they're now having to find ways to basically bring all of this online and you're seeing it quite a lot in different businesses at the moment where people are really transitioning to be able to continue doing what they were doing before but online instead this episode um so obviously I listened through the episodes before we put them out um, so that I can find like cool clips and stuff and listening through to this week's episode. One of the things that I said in there was uh, how petrified we've been to put on an event. Yeah. Um, and I think what we will definitely do is 
put on an event as soon as this is all over because we know that it's going to be packed because everyone's going to yeah. want to go out as soon as this is is over so um but yeah we'll we'll play it by ear and uh well everyone is at the moment we're just playing playing it day by day and and seeing what happens but i, d- I definitely the other side of this would like to do an event i think yeah definitely the other thing that really kind of occurred to me when um listening to this week's guest steph ellswood is how drastically other people can affect your life by the things they say to you or or like in this case it was just someone being an absolute dick to steph um and it is so crazy because it can completely switch whatever path you're on it can change you from doing something and that could be a really bad thing or it could be a good thing it's like it's so weird i guess it's like the butterfly effect of of one small change somewhere can massively affect your whole life going forward yeah yeah it's crazy isn't it it's like all it takes is for again it's a lot of it will come down to like parenting people at school like people when you were younger i suppose really craft who you become and it's like if you've got people at school who like for me everyone would known me as like the arty guy like if, if you needed something drawing like when we were in like year three or four at school I'd be the one who'd draw a cartoon. Someone would be like, oh, can like I've got this piece of homework, I want a cartoon in it, can you draw this cartoon for me? And so I was known as that arty one. And as soon as you get hear that, then it's like, okay, well, I like that. And every time someone keeps saying it, it's like, oh, I'm getting like, I'm getting like little status points here every time someone says it. So it just sends you in that direction. But if someone, like when I was in year three or four at school, I wasn't good at art compared to what I am now and like what, I would class as like being really good but for the age group I was but if someone had said to me like someone who was just a bit mean who was older said that's rubbish because it, yes. it was pretty much yeah. rubbish then I'd have been like oh okay maybe I don't want to do this anymore why am I going to spend my time doing something if I'm just people are just going to like bully me for it yeah it's like it's like you're when your mum puts something up on the fridge and it's yeah. like it's uh, it's just some blobs. It's like just rubbish. But like they really hype you up, and they're like, "Yeah, it's amazing putting it on my fridge." It's so, it's so funny, isn't it? Like so, on that topic, actually, it was um, Lucy's birthday the other week, and her two of her nephews drew her birthday cards, and her, one was from like one who's about kind of four or five years old. So that was kind of like you could kind of make out what the imagery was, but it was still very ambiguous and we had to like FaceTime them to ask what it actually was. And then the second one was from the younger one, which is kind of like a one or two years old. And um, that was just like a mass scribble. Like it was just, it was an awful mess. You couldn't even guess what it could be. And then when we FaceTimed them later to ask what it was, the older one said, oh, well, the younger ones is rubbish. It's really messy. And even at that age, he was putting the younger one down for the level of visibility. And it's like, if then that younger kid hears that and thinks, well, actually, there's no point in me doing that because I'm not good at that. Even at like two years old, that might prevent you going and following on that. It's wild, isn't it? It is wild. And I think we can we can unwrap as well, like those things that have been said to us that have shaped us and kind of formed our identity and and the chances that we didn't take because someone said that it was too risky or too dangerous and... And I think it's important to unpack all of that baggage that we all have from our past and like, and address the things that are like, am I really, really bad at this thing? Is there, is there no chance that I could ever get good at it again? And, and especially if you think it's something that might make you happy, because it's like, I have no desire to unpack maths. 
because I don't think that sitting here doing algebra is going to make me happy. But like, if it's something else that, that you wanted to do, but were too scared to do because people were mocking you or whatever it was that happened, like, I think now's the time to, yeah, give that shit a go. I feel like, especially when there's people who really struggle to find what their passion is, find out what that thing is they want to do. And quite often it's really good to just look back to those times and think, well, what was it that I used to like to do before someone shut me down, before someone said I wasn't good? Because at that stage, you're just doing it for the fun of it. There's no, like, you're so young that you're not thinking about making it a business. You're not thinking about it being like a realistic life choice. It's just like, you're just doing it because you genuinely enjoy doing it. So I feel like if you do struggle a bit to like find that thing that you've been looking for maybe think back to like well what did I used to like at school or what did people used to bully me for not being good enough at because if you were doing it there's a chance you actually liked it so yeah maybe looking back to that might unlock something yeah and we always say that the the people that you meet will change your life and it's it's just being open and curious and and following those those paths and and putting yourself in those situations where you can allow people to change your life because you are meeting new people. Currently, there's not really much opportunity to meet new people. Like we're gonna we're gonna stick to our circles, we're gonna stick to the people that we know. But like coming out of this, I think it it it's a time to make new relationships and and follow those paths and be curious. Because like we would not be sat here if I hadn't followed my curiosity. I, I met Paul, who's been a uh, Paul Elliott, who's been a previous guest on the show, like one of our early episodes. And I didn't want to speak to him. My teacher bullied me to <laughs> to talk to the guy, and like that guy changed my life. And you and me wouldn't be doing this podcast if yeah. I hadn't met him. Because if I hadn't met him, I never would have got into graffiti. And then none of the past 20 years happens to me. So it's, it's, it's wild. And I think we, we need to be more open because I was not open to that relationship or that, or, or, do you know what I mean? I was yeah, not open yeah. to that being a thing, but I'm so glad that it did because it fundamentally has changed and shaped my life. So, But the fact we're now doing remote podcasting, we've had three really great conversations with some really interesting people and that, so it just shows that you can still do it. You can still go and meet people. And I think as well, so many people are at home with a bit more time in their hands and they're a bit more open to just have a Skype call to have like something because normally they'd be working on projects that might have fallen through and they haven't got as much work coming in. So actually, if you want to get to meet, if you want, if there's people you really want to get to know, now might be the perfect time to do it. So if you do have a podcast, if you do have a blog or anywhere that you interview people anyway, reach out to them now because it's going to be the best time for a long time that they're going to just say yes to. Yeah. And in fact, um, one of our listeners has done that recently and I'm going to look him up on Instagram here now to give him a name check. But uh, Mark Wilshire Photography um, sent us a message and he said that we'd said in a previous podcast, like be brave and reach out to those people that you think are probably not going to answer you. He's done that with a load of photographers, inviting them to come and do live Instagram sessions with him um, because everyone's doing lives at the moment. And he's been jumping on lives with people that he literally thought were going to say no to him. But he heard us say like, try it, you've got nothing to lose. And he's like, overwhelmingly, everyone said yes. Yeah. So yeah, so it's, it's yeah, you're you're totally right. Um, Now is the time to, yeah, make new connections. Cool. So let's get into this episode. Steph Ellswood is an entrepreneur, a food and fitness blogger, a dancer and an advocate for body positivity. After struggling for years with an eating disorder, which is something that we do talk about in this episode, Steph started her road to recovery by posting pictures of her meals on Instagram. 
Over the years, her account grew massively and opened up many opportunities for her, not only to make a living, but also to help lots of people along the way. In this episode, we talk about starting a business, sustainability, and the joys of doing nothing. You're constantly pushing and pushing and pushing for the next thing that we very rarely kind of sit back in that in that sense of nothingness and doing mm. nothing for no other reason than for yourself. Yeah. Hi Steph. Hello, how are you? Good, Welcome to the how show. Are you? Good, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. It's been a while since we've had a chat and since then you've opened a whole bloody brand new business. I know, it's been, yeah, when, when did I last see you guys? About six months ago. Yeah. Like for a while, maybe four or five months ago. Yeah, probably four or five months. Yeah. A lot yeah, has happened since then. Yeah. So bring us up to date. What is your new business? Uh, my new business is called Sustainable. And, <laughs> and it is basically my way of um, releasing ethically sourced and environmentally friendly products. Um, and my main goal is to kind of educate my audience on small changes that they can make every day that will contribute on a larger scale if we all make little changes and just kind of make products that are cool in the sustainable space. And we've started with two hero products, which are cutlery sets that you can keep in your bag to take around with you. And also uh, bamboo toothbrushes in a little toothbrush pot as well. Amazing. Um, why is why is sustainability important to you? It has been for about two years. So, um, I mean, I wouldn't be a true vegan unless I told you. So um, I've been <laughs> vegan for about two years. Um, and the main reason for that was environmental reasons. And since then on my journey, I've, I've learned so much about fast fashion, about single use plastics and all of that kind of thing. And I feel like in London, we do live in a little bubble where there's vegan food accessible everywhere and everyone walks around with their reusable coffee cup and, and water bottle and it's become almost a fashion accessory. So I was like, what's next? And um, I'm the kind of person that works from different cafes and restaurants all the time. And it just infuriated me that even when you're eating in, the only cutlery they had was single use plastic. So I thought, how can I make it a way that's um, ethically sourced um, and also like cute that I'd want to carry around with me and like transportable easily and all of that kind of stuff. So looked into developing that. And then um, the other thing was my dad's rule of thumb. If ever you're getting poorly is change your toothbrush. So I live at home still. So the moment he hears me sneeze once, he's like, change your toothbrush. Wow. So I found myself throwing toothbrushes away quite regularly, um, listening to him because it does actually work. Um, and I just thought, how how can I do that in an ethic, ethical yeah. and sustainable way? Um, and then thought about the little travel pots because I do quite a lot of traveling and all of that kind of stuff. So that's kind of where it was born and that's where it started. And then the dream is to just grow and expand until with a sustainable answer to everything. How, how does that start? Like where, cause everyone like has an idea, but like, how did you go from like idea to actual execution of like actually having a product? Do you know what? The whole process has been so surreal because you have this dream and I've, I've, I have dreams every other day and I'm like, oh my God, that is such a genius idea. And I genuinely hand on heart think that I invented AirPods when I was 14, but never asked <laughs> on it. Um, <laughs> Cause I used to like tuck my earphones into my school uniform and like behind the back of my ear. Um, was that so you could get away with listening to listening music? to music in class because I yeah. focus better? Yeah, I'm, I, I hate to break it to you, you did not invent that, but oh, carry on. Sorry. Yeah, because <laughs> what I used to do when I was at school, which was definitely a long time before you were at school, <laughs> was run it up my sleeve, have it like 
under like under my wrist and i just kind of sit there with my hand on my oh that's probably better than on my, my hair, one but you didn't just, have hair to hide it behind to be fair so i, I, I blagged I, mine i know at school at school i didn't by the time i reached uni i could have yeah. hidden it behind my long hair <laughs> <laughs> well yeah so it kind of looked into different plantations and things like that where we could source the bamboo because i had done so much research into what materials are the most ethical and all of that and I discovered that bamboo um, is very porous, so it, it doesn't absorb too much water in terms of like to make it grow. And it's very antibacterial if it's left in its most natural state. And I think it can grow up to two foot a day. Yeah. Um, so I found a plantation that accepts donations so that basically I'm contributing to help it stay the way that it is. So a big corporation can't come in and suddenly decide that it wants to expand it and triple its size and lead to deforestation and all right. of that kind of stuff. And then it was just kind of spitballing ideas, looking around at what was already out there, um, getting a logo made. And yeah, it's kind of just been a whirlwind process that started in February last year and it didn't launch until... I didn't announce anything until October. Um, but yeah, just a lot of work behind the scenes. I have a management team that helped a lot as well. Um, and yeah, that's basically how it happened. Just had a few samples sent over until it was completely perfect and what I wanted. Um, and then here we are, We the, the day it launched and someone actually bought something. I just remember it being so exciting. And I do all the fulfillment from my house. So me and my mum, oh my God, my mum is a saint. Like, <laughs> honestly, a saint. We I researched into things like packaging as well. So I'm, I'm so used to being sent PR boxes and things like that. They yeah. come in so much plastic, even though I request to not be sent them. And so I researched into envelopes and I, I wanted to send a recipe card with every order uh, to kind of tie in my personal touch to it. And even researching into what inks aren't ethical or vegan or anything like that. Yeah. So there's, if you look for it, you find it, but if you don't think about it, then you will just never know. Um, so finding all different tissue papers that are compostable and recyclable and soy ink and everything like that um just seeing every order coming in hand wrapping it taking it to our little 80 year old man in the post office and and doing it all by hand has just been such an amazing process and although I probably could do fulfillment now I'm still enjoying it so much and I get to correct every order I do all the customer service emails myself and at the moment I can do that and obviously when it scales up if it scales up fingers crossed I'll look into getting fulfillment but at the moment I'm really enjoying the process of it all if that makes sense. Do you make that fully aware to everyone all the processes that go into all your packaging and everything like that because I feel like like I didn't know that and that's amazing and I feel like people buying that will feel like they're getting so much more from it and also it makes them so much more aware because I didn't realize that printing inks wouldn't be vegan or anything yeah. like that. And I think that's a really great thing to just let people know about because the amount of things that if they've already made changes in their lives and looking for that next thing to do, you probably just answered loads of them. Yeah, I, I talk about it um, on the Shop Sustainable Instagram page on the stories. On the card, when you receive an order, it says on there as well that all the packaging is recycled and everything. And on the website, I also do blog posts. Um, so we, we did loads of blog posts over the last few months about um, sustainable Christmas ideas, veganuary, um, and also about the plantation that we use and everything like that. So I think packaging is something that I want to speak a lot more about just because sometimes, you know what it's like when you get an order and it comes in the biggest box in the world filled yeah. with bubble wrap and then it's literally for a box that's like an inch. Yeah, Amazon are the worst for that. The worst, the worst. And that's why, I mean, it's a very bold statement to make, but the main goal for for me and, and this brand is to be the sustainable version of Amazon. 
you mentioned that you were looking at kind of other brands that that would like in your research you were looking at other brands who were doing this um how many like how crowded is the landscape um there's a lot of independent places doing a lot of cutlery sets and i saw there were, there were a few on amazon and stuff because i didn't um, even know that was a, a thing like this shows my ignorance but like i've never thought to take your own cutlery to a restaurant and i didn't know people were doing that and that's cool that, yeah but it just hadn't occurred to me well there was i get a lot of backlash like oh why can't you just take cutlery from your drawer out um what's the need to develop new products and all of this and i totally understand that but a lot of people don't feel comfortable taking metal cutlery around with them it's you can't take them on things like an airplane i remember even going to the o2 arena like i know that's obviously like it doesn't yeah. happen every day or whatever, yeah, but, yeah. but you wouldn't have been your bag after work. You like, wouldn't be able to take yeah. it. So I wanted something that was suitable for all of these occasions that you would reuse all the time. That was like bamboo being nat- naturally antibacterial. You don't have to scrub it loads, and like you could put it in your bag at the end of the day, then take it home and and wash it and things like that. Yeah. And, and it kind of looks a bit funny if you get out like a full metal set. Of, yeah, doesn't it? it? Like reminds me of that um, that video of Donald Trump like eating KFC with with metal cutlery it's just I don't know like the yeah. bamboo of it just feels like oh that's okay it's almost like you're having a picnic yeah and I think also they come in um little canvas bags um and I just feel so bougie when I roll it out yeah. in a restaurant <laughs> and like you have a straw in there straw cleaner that's made of coconut husk um chopsticks and they're all made by hand and I just love that and you can kind of feel that mm. natural aspect of it when you use it and stuff so whereabouts are they made they're actually made in europe but the plantation is in vietnam so i suppose the the cool thing with that is that it's not your main business because you've like you've got multiple kind of things going on so it's it's not like you're all in with it and it has to survive it's like it's just a thing that you're exploring i guess yeah, um, it's something that I've wanted to do for a while because I think you've probably seen it. There's always such a backlash with influencers and things like that. And there's there's a lot of brands that I work with that are so ethical and, and I'm really proud to work with. But there's far more that I get contacted by that aren't. Mm. And I just I was just like, well, if I'm going to be promoting a brand, why not it be my own mm. with one that I have full creative control of everything that we drop and everything that we do. And then that's kind of where it came from and I, I don't see like no one knows the longevity of how long influencers are going to be working for and I thought okay I need to see my future now what am I passionate about and and what is there kind of gap in the market for and then that's where the idea kind of started really. What's your relationship with that word are you an influencer? Oh I hate that word so much I, I think there's just such a negative connotation with it and I'm probably the worst person if someone asks me what I, what, what I do it makes me so anxious and I get like a on panic rash because I don't know. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's okay. I just don't know the best way to answer my, my job role because as much as there's the rise of the influencer and there's so many people doing so well, I think a lot of people see it as affiliate links and discount codes and booty posing rather than actually having a platform and using it for good. Um, so a lot of the time I just say I'm like fun employed and I work in social media and then people are like, oh, what company do you work for? And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> myself um so yeah I think it depends who's asked whether or not I say whether I'm an influencer but on paper I am yeah I, I suppose that the term has been kind of sullied and been corrupted hasn't it yeah it's, it's come from people who are just influential within a certain sphere to people wanting to try and replicate that and not actually providing any value just having this facade of yeah kind of glamour and perfect and 
all these things that aren't really real and aren't really sustainable, I think. And it comes along with the number as well, I suppose. It's like if you've got 500,000 followers, yeah. you are by default an influencer. However, if, you're, if you've got 2,000 followers, but they're, they're fully engaged and, li- and you're actually giving them helpful, useful advice, then to me, you're that's an influencer that's a that's how it should be but i guess we've we've lost those days we would have to come up with a new term for for i for i guess for what all three of us do because because mm. i'd yeah. like to think that we're influencers in the sense that yeah. Influ- we're yeah. influencing people to to be happier like if that's what i'm influencing then fucking great but yeah but yeah if i'm influencing people to i mean i guess on, on your case it would be like you're like the anti like encouraging girls to to lose weight and all of that sort of stuff because you've mm-hmm. you've seen that whole negative side of social media and I mean especially when you're a teenager and um, Tumblr with I mean I guess you talk about it but but like uh, there's a lot oh certainly there was back in the day a lot of like kind of anorexia stuff and you'd mm-hmm. get like in a black hole of that sort of stuff yeah well it, exactly what you said that like before Instagram there was what, like MySpace Tumblr all of that kind of stuff and. Yeah, I'd, I would scroll for hours and there, it was so easy to find pro-eating disorder pages, pro-self-harm pages, and you start to think that's normal if that's all you consume. Yeah. Um, and that is definitely what made my eating disorder so much worse when I was struggling because you just dive into that vortex and get lost and then suddenly compare yourself and then praise yourself on, on I don't know, self-harm really. Um, and I just vowed to myself that I never, ever want to be that person. And I know this sounds so backwards, but if someone comments on a YouTube video or on a post and is like, oh, you're so perfect, I feel like I've done something wrong because I don't want anyone to feel like that. Um, I just think there's so many people out there, um, models and whatever, who give off this perfect image. I just kind of want to show people that you can just live a real life and be happy and 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 live with your demons because I can't I can't say it's possible to completely get rid of them because day to day we ebb and flow we have ups and downs but learning to manage those situations um and that's just what I want to use my page to talk about more and just make people aware of the good and the bad if that makes sense how do you deal with your demons do you know what I'm very fortunate to have an amazing circle of people around me that I feel safe to talk to um so if ever I'm really struggling the people around me can read me so easily uh, I'm quite transparent in my reactions and my facial expressions um so they'll ask me what's wrong and even if I'm not aware that I'm in this mood it will kind of jolt me a bit and then I'll think and then I'll kind of analyze what what's caused me to be that way and I think that is also down to years of therapy counseling life coaching and and kind of learning the signals before I spiral if that makes sense and and putting a stop to that Um, and also opening up about it online if ever I put up a deep post it's probably because I've been down for a couple of days and I managed to put it into words and things like that Um, and that's probably the main way I get out of it. I guess through posting you you can then work through what you're feeling because I always find if I've got I mean obviously I'm I'm writing about very different topics but if there's an idea that I'm thinking of that's that's around business or something like that if I sit down and I actually write about it then I can get my thoughts so much clearer on how I'm feeling about that topic Mm -hmm. and then when I talk about it on the podcast it's like I I know what I'm talking about because I had the time to process it through the post. Yeah, definitely. And I think then when people reach out and say they've been feeling the same or they can totally relate and all of that kind of stuff, it makes you feel more human and and that you're not struggling alone. And I think that's really important. And that's why I want to keep sharing these things because 
if that's how I react to something that I've posted and getting replies from that, then hopefully it will help even one person who's actually reading it as well. Did you feel alone when you were going through it? Yes. Um, I first had my eating disorder when I was 14 and it went through until I was about 20 on and off. Um, and I don't think any of my friends were going through anything similar. Um, no one really understood it. And I was at school at the time and doing my GCSEs and a lot of people turned against me because they saw it as attention seeking and all of that kind of thing. So it made me almost not want to talk about it because as much as I can be attention seeking in that moment, that, that was me crying out for help. And I told two people um, on separate occasions and then they spoke about it and came to the conclusion that I was just looking for attention so I, I then left that school after GCSEs changed schools um and then the same thing happened again and I was so scared to tell anyone it wasn't until my favorite dance teacher pulled me to one side because I was passing out in lessons my hair was falling out I, my skin was gray I had dark circles under my eyes and I'd disappear in every class to just go outside and make myself sick when I saw my my reflection <clears throat> and um I think it wasn't until someone outside kind of jolted me in, in my thoughts and in my journey that I realized okay this is quite serious I probably should speak about it and then um the scariest thing was my headmistress didn't really know how to deal with it either didn't understand it and was basically like if you don't tell your family and and get help then we're gonna have to ask you to leave and when you when you work your whole life to going to your dream dance college um that realization that it could all come to an end was just so disheartening and terrifying that I had no choice but to speak about it. And then I had to live with the guilt of my, my mum was so heartbroken that she hadn't realised, um, but then took me straight to my GP. Because I guess you were, you were trying to hide it the whole time. Right? Yeah, it was it was always secretive. Uh, she always thought I'd had dinner before I'd come home. And I think she punishes herself for never questioning that. But because I'd never lied to her, I'd always been such an honest child. She never for a second thought that I would lie. Mm. And then I don't know. I, I have so many blanks in my memory from this time. Um, I don't know if that's from being malnourished or whatever, but it's literally like years I've lost. And there is one vivid memory I have of going to the GP, but I have no idea what I said in that room, but I was rushed so quickly into um, therapy at the Maudsley Hospital in Denmark Hill that I must have said something really, really extreme. And it's not until I've spoken to people that have worked in that hospital since that I now understand the severity of that situation. And I think I'm just so lucky that my mum knew what to do in that situation and, and that I was open enough to speak about it. And that's why now every post I do, every statement I make, I'm saying talk to someone, yeah. like find someone to listen. And I think the thing is, if that first person doesn't listen, like the first two people that you told didn't listen, didn't help and made you feel even worse. So I suppose, yeah, if people don't listen, keep going until someone does listen and <laughs> someone does try to help you. Yeah. What do what does what does recovery look like? How did you pull yourself out of that hole? Was there one big moment or was there kind of was it incremental steps of of little things and then falling back down and like what do what does recovery look like? I, I think it's it's different for everyone, but for me I the first time I went to a therapy session, it was in such a clinical hospital that was just all white I was in an all white room with this woman who I'd never met before and I kind of was just a bit like why should I tell you what I'm fighting and I had mm. to be weighed every session and it was just a very scary and toxic environment and for the first couple of sessions I just didn't speak I just didn't want to be there and then there was a turning point because I can't I can't remember if it was in the same 
waiting room or if it was on two separate occasions but I went into the waiting room waiting for my third or fourth appointment and I saw someone I used to go to school with who was actually an inpatient and she was completely skeletal and like so gaunt and it was terrifying to see someone that I knew so well for so Mm. many years um like that and then either that day or on a separate occasion, I also saw a woman who was twice my age in exactly the same position. Um, She had no teeth. Her skin was like mine and gray and and she looked so like you could, oh, you could just blow her over. It was so scary. And I think I saw what my future looked like. And that was the first day that I spoke to my therapist about the reasons why I was doing what I was doing and, and my biggest fears and all of that kind of thing. And that I think was the main turning point for me to recognizing that I actually wanted to get better because for so long, my eating disorder had been my secret best friend that only I knew about. And it was like, it was just such a toxic relationship. And it was like a little voice in your head that whenever you're struggling, you do something, it makes you feel better for five minutes. Mm. Um, And I was so scared to lose that because the fear of the unknown and what was it gonna be like to be healthy and the process from there was very up and down. So I'd have days where I felt amazing. And then I'd have someone come up to me and be like, oh, you're looking so healthy. And to me that was, oh, you've put on weight. And then I'd plummet down again. And it was kind of reteaching myself things. Like I'd been teaching myself the opposite for so long and, and learning to deal with that. But again, it goes down to amazing friends and family around me. Um, and I think also starting, uh, my Instagram page at the time was called Healthy Chef Steph, starting that. Um, and having that as a passion project and teaching myself to fall in love with food and cooking again um, was definitely a massive step in my recovery as well. So your Instagram was, you just set that up to document what you were eating, like a food diary? Yeah, so um, part of my therapy and um, counselling was to keep a food diary and I would always forget what I'd had to eat. So I thought, oh, I'm such a visual person. Mm. I'll take a picture and post it on a private Instagram. Um, And then the more I started to eat, the more creative I got with food and I was educating myself on eating healthily and ways to fuel my body in the right way. Um, And I was like, oh, I wanna share these recipes with everyone. So I started um, sharing the recipes and then it got to, I think it was like 99 followers. And I was like, oh my God, I want a hundred. So I ran into my school canteen um, and I made someone follow me. And it was my friend Ryan, who I'm still friends with now. And he pulled me to one side and was like, look, we know your journey it could help so many people you should you should speak openly about it and at the time I had no photos of me on there um not even my display picture um and it was just food and then I decided you know what that's such a good idea I'm gonna do it um and my parents were terrified because they didn't know where the internet was gonna go yeah. and I, this is for four or five years ago now so back before being an influencer was really a thing in the UK um and yeah, so it's just all evolved organically from there. So yeah, it's, it's been- So they were advising you against going on Instagram? Um, I think my parents were a bit reluctant for me to speak so openly about it right. because I was still going through the recovery process. It wasn't like I was fully out the other side. And I think they were nervous that it was gonna make me worse, but it had the totally opposite effect. And it's given me so many amazing opportunities that I am so grateful in a twisted way, I'm so grateful that I went through that because coming out of it and getting stronger has led me to do so many other things I never would have have had the confidence to do if that never happened. You remember the the first few people who messaged you saying that you were helping them? I remember getting my first really lovely message and I think 
I still try and reply to every comment and DM now that I can, and that is safe to do so. So I get a lot of people really, really, really pouring their hearts out. And I think sometimes it would be dangerous for me to respond to them just because I'm not qualified. I've only got my right. own anecdotes and my own journey to compare to. So I don't ever want to give someone the wrong advice. And if God forbid anything happened to that person after me saying something, I could never forgive myself. Um, so now if someone just says, oh, you've really helped me with my journey and things like that, I just, I kind of just close my eyes and I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't ever take those messages for granted because I just wish when I was going through that, I had someone to kind of aspire to and, yeah. and, and things like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for those messages. So we've covered kind of the darker side, the more negative side of, of social media. And I guess through, through experiencing that and it pushing you into more of a hole, that was why you kind of decided to be a lot more positive and basically the opposite of that on, on your social media. And that's what's kind of caused you to grow like a huge account now to the stage where people would call you an influencer. But I've I've seen that you, um, I was watching a YouTube video that you did where you were talking about actually having a social media break for yourself. Why has that been important for you? Um, well, I've done social media and I've posted every day, every other day or whatever for four, four or five years. Um, and I'm so involved in it. Like the, the accounts I follow are so positive. I don't see a negative in my social media use. Mm. Um, but I thought, you know what, I've not had a week off, a holiday, and any job you do, you get that time off. And if I'm not working on projects behind the scenes, I'm replying to comments, DMs, putting up stories, engaging with friends or whatever. And I thought, you know what, I'm gonna just switch my phone off and really, really, really be present. And I think I got a bit of a reality check because, you know, you can see your screen time. Yeah. Um, I was a bit like, oh my God, I know it's all work, but that is a lot of hours a week to be spending yeah, yeah. on your phone. So I had the opportunity um, to do so. So I booked it off with all work commitments with my management team and everyone. And my best friend's family have a house in Portugal that I've gone to every year since I was 12. So I decided then and there that I was gonna go away for a week. And I think it was only supposed to be four or five days that I was gonna go away and switch my phone off. And I ended up having such an amazing time really being there with these people making amazing memories um, that I actually extended my trip for a couple of days, kept my phone switched off. And it was just amazing. I just I just could really absorb everything. And I had this morning routine with my boyfriend because um, I wasn't drinking at the time. Everyone would go out. We'd still go out with them, but yeah. everyone would get in at like six o'clock in the morning and not be up until 11. But in that time where it was, it was literally like the Love Island filler, the amount of people that were staying there. Um, <laughs> In that time, it was like I had the place to myself. I'd wake up, I'd go to a terrace with a cup of coffee and just absorb the beauty around me, do a little bodyweight workout and, and have a yummy breakfast before everyone else had even got up. So I really had that time to just be, sit with myself, be with myself and take in everything. And it was so refreshing. So then when I came back onto social media, I wasn't anxious about it because I was at such a good base level with myself, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Have you found that it's impacted your use since getting back? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm so much better at putting my phone to one side. Um, and I'm, I mean, I can still work on it. And I think I will again this year have more breaks in social media and things like that. But um, I just think you can't pour from an empty cup. And I'm constantly trying to do everything online to give, 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 give to people to to take away with them that sometimes I just need to recharge myself. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, 
I mean, we we put out 77 pieces of content um, last year, like podcast episodes. And, but yet you still get messages from people saying, are you going to be doing any more? And, <laughs> and it's kind of like, I guess people are never, are never satisfied, but they don't understand that there is a real person. Like mm-hmm. everything that you consume, there's someone behind and every piece of content, it, there's been thought and work that's gone into creating that. I mean, I think like you're, it's so great how you can just talk straight to camera and they seem really like, like spontaneous and off the cuff, but I'm sure there's a lot of like thought beforehand that goes into it. And I don't know if you like write notes or anything, but, but it's like, we're not, we can't just produce like, just like that. Yeah. You know? It's like that, like we're giving you a piece of our soul and, and people are very hungrily kind of like consuming it, but not actually realizing the other, the other side of it. Yeah. And I think also people aspiring to be in the industry don't, they obviously don't see the behind the scenes. Yeah. And as much as I think it would be great to share the behind the scenes more, I'm very fortunate in my job that I can choose my working hours and things like that. So I'd never want someone who works in a really high intensity job, like I don't know, like in the city or in a hospital. I don't want to be like, oh, I have so much work to do because I'm actually so lucky to be in a job that I adore doing. So no one really sees the behind the scenes stuff. Um, but I, I, I do still enjoy it, but I just have to really have my energy levels at at the top of my game to produce as much as people demand Mm. and I think also a massive lesson that I learned last year I I think I I get a lot of imposter syndrome in terms of I've never planned for this to be a thing I never thought I was gonna go into this job where I'd be the face of something or anything like that I always thought I was gonna be a backing dancer behind an artist so to now be in the forefront I think I almost get nervous to delegate things to other people and to ask for help. Um, so last year I took on my first employee um, and now I'm, I'm getting like a YouTube editor and things like that and learning to pass tasks off to other people that can probably do it way better than I can. Yeah. Um, and also I, I felt like I, I had to work every hour of every day to be successful. Um, but now passing little jobs onto other people means that I get that work-life balance and that's really helped as well. And I genuinely think it came from that holiday of me really relaxing. Um, and then I was then able to come up with these ideas of how to get that week to week. How have you found passing stuff on? Has it been like, a, oh, you're not doing it right. Oh, this isn't how I would do it. Um, do you know what? No, because I think I have, I have been fortunate to meet such amazing people that are so good at what they do. Sometimes they do things and I'm like, wow, I, I never I never would have done that. But when my PA first started, I remember the first email I sent her was, so uh, what, what, what do you want to do? Just because I had no yeah. idea. Um, but she is so amazing and she's been working in, in the industry for so many years and she's... Um, she's so forward thinking and suggests ideas to me as well, which I think I need um, and to grow my business and to, to grow as a, a businesswoman as well. Um, I'm not afraid to learn from other people. Like I don't think I know everything. So I'm really ha- happy to have these people on board to learn from as well. I think that's, that's shows such growth. Um, and me and Adam have definitely both said to our business partner, Yona, that she should have a PA and she has this kind of barrier of it because you don't want to be telling someone to do something that you mm. could be doing yourself. But I think that as soon as you do allow yourself to do that, and creatives are the worst at at thinking like, oh no, but I can do that, so I, I should just get it done. And like props to you, like you'll you'll notice that your your business will grow so much more than you actually doing everything yourself or just letting other people do it. And you'll you'll actually be able to take your foot off the gas a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, yeah I definitely definitely noticed that. Um you've touched on there that you were 
Like you always thought you were going to be a dancer. Mm-hmm. Where, when did that dream kind of turn into something else? Well, I, I graduated when I was 19 um, and all my other friends that I'd grown up with were still at uni. And I'd gone from this bubble of dance college into unemployment and the dance world is so hard and you have to have such a thick skin and I was still going through my recovery at the time and I didn't have the thickest skin in the world and there was um I I was running the Instagram uh, but not monetizing it I had just graduated and I was also in a girl band at the time um so I was kind of doing three things but wasn't wholeheartedly doing any of them full guns blazing so I, I remember Um, I went to an audition and it was for a commercial dance agency that would hopefully get me jobs for backing dancing and things like that. And it was the first audition where I showed up and I was like, I'm going to get this. I'm telling myself I'm going to get this. I chose a flyer outfit. I was going to be confident. Um, I'd practice some freestyle ideas of what I could do in the room. Um, And I remember the final cut, uh, there'd been thousands of girls queuing up around the corner from Pineapple Dance Studio. Like I remember it going around the building. Um, And I'd got through to the final cut and I put myself bang in the middle when it got into doing it in small groups. And the casting director played the music and I started and I was so confident. And then he stopped the music and I kind of turned around and I was like, oh, who's in trouble? And he singled me out in front of everyone in the room. And there must have been about 40 girls minimum in the room. And he was like, who are you? And oh, my God, my heart just stopped. And I was like, oh, I'm Steph. And he was like, why have I never seen you before? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And he was like, well, did you go to college? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, have you ever been to my class? And I said, no. And he said, have you ever been to anyone on the panel's class? And I said, no. And he was like, okay, so I'm gonna forgive you for the fact that you're stupid. Um, And I am gonna watch you dance and our relationship starts now. So from being confident and, and really putting myself out there to then, being so put on edge and knowing that everyone in the room is watching me, including him. I was I was so nervous and I tried to do the best that I could and I, I killed my freestyle, but I missed his the start of his routine by half a beat. And he rolled his eyes and um, just watched the person next to me and refused to watch me again. And I was so aware of that. He then kept the five, five other girls on the floor and cut just me. And I felt so humiliated that I left the room and I was just like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want this that badly. And then an opportunity came via Instagram for me to go away with Nike and I couldn't believe it. And they took me away for three days to go to a training camp um, and to be kitted out in in their all of their clothes, to fly to Stockholm and to have this an amazing experience. And I got to go there and I was totally myself. I wasn't trying to impress anyone. I wasn't trying to be anyone else. And I just thought if this is what is out there and there's opportunities like this now, Mm. I'd far rather that than some horrible man telling me that I'm stupid and cutting me when I was trying to put myself out there. Um, So I kind of took a step back from the dance world because that really, really knocked me. And it wasn't until my nan got sick that I actually got back into dancing for, for the love of it. And I rediscovered my love and my passion for it. And I think there was about a two year interlude in between that um but I'm so grateful for that time because I managed to set up so many other things so so blessing in disguise in a way I mean complete asshole but actually yeah. the trajectory of your life is actually really good that it did happen yeah for sure um 
and, and and that's a story that I tell to so many dancers and I'm like look you will have these lows but you have to refine your passions for it and since then like I've got a different dance agent and I can pick and choose auditions that I go to and I've had some amazing experiences since then and it just shows that I didn't need him mm. but I was too young and and hungry for it to realize that at the time so tell us about setting up your own dance sessions so that came from um I mentioned briefly a minute ago that my nan got poorly and she sadly had lung cancer for about two and a half years and moved into my family home where my mum was her full-time carer and she used to say to me why don't you dance anymore and I told her that story and, and she was just a bit like why are you letting one person tell you that you're not good enough when people your whole life have told you you are and that thought kind of stuck with me and it, it made me start going to dance classes more and just enjoying it and I started getting videos from class and posting them and so many people that followed me on Instagram didn't know that I was a dancer yeah. and they'd comment like oh you should put on a class and all of this kind of stuff so I always had that in the back of my mind and alongside this, I used to sit with my nan for hours and we used to Snapchat together and she built up a little Love fan that. base. She absolutely loved it. And she had this tagline because I called her the queen of sass because my nan was single for many, many, many years and she had an unfaithful husband. So she was she had a bit of sass um, and she'd flirt with all the doctors and I'd capture all of that <laughs> on Snapchat. Um, and her little tagline at the end was stay sassy. And she'd say it like Bruce Forsyth on strictly so she'd be yeah. like stay sassy um and then sadly we lost her about three years ago now um and mine and my mum's world absolutely crashed because having someone in your home um that you could see every day and and just have a giggle with just to lose that was heartbreaking and we could still feel her presence around and it was just a really hard time but one thing that helped throughout that entire situation is there's a hospice called St Christopher's and they used to come to our house twice a day to help my nan with things that she was embarrassed for my mum to do and my mum was so grateful for them and my nan actually went to St Christopher's um, for her final evening before she passed away because she didn't want to um, die in our house yeah. uh, and I wanted to do something that would give back to the hospice because they do so much for our area but get, so most people want to die at home. What was what was your nan's decision behind wanting, not wanting to do that? I think because it wasn't her house, because it was mine and my not mine, because um, it was my mum's and my and my dad's, my parents' house. Um, she didn't want the memory of her passing away in that room to live there forever. Um, That's actually so, so self-aware of her. Yeah, yeah, and and that was always her wish. Um, so the hospice took her in that night, and I think she was so poorly. She really held on to be at that hospice to say goodbye yeah. in the way she wanted to and I really wanted to put on an event to raise money for St Christopher's and I thought people have asked for a dance class for so long I'm going to give them what they want but I don't want someone who's never danced before to come and either see their reflection not like it or punish themselves for not being talented or what they thought they were going to be like so I'm going to add an educational element afterwards I'm going to get a qualified psychologist a motivational speaker some yummy goodies like food and goodie bags and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm going to put on this event and all of the profits are going to go to St. Christopher's. Um, so I planned it, I researched it, I found a venue, I found the smallest venue I could um, that held 20 people. Uh, because Is I was, that because you didn't want to give yourself the pressure of 
filling a big room. I think I was so scared. I'd never done anything like that before. Mm. And yes, you can have a certain amount of numbers following you, but you don't know how that will actually translate into yeah. people showing up. Oh, we so relate to that. We've been like so many people have been saying put on an event. We still haven't done it because we're scared that no one will come. Oh, no, yeah. honestly, it was, the, it was the best thing I ever did because you watch the numbers come in and we sold out in about half an hour and I yeah. could not believe it. Um, and when the day came, I put a photo of my nan in the corner. So she was there with us um, and we did the dance workshop and everyone was amazing. So it was a, a simple routine. I had one of my best friends um, teach the, the class with me. My mum was there um, and everyone was on such a high. And then we all sat in a circle with this psychologist and, and a motivational speaker as well. And we did a workshop where you write your first thought in the morning, crumple it on a piece of paper. So it's completely anonymous. We had a snowball fight and then we all sat in a circle and read out someone else's um, first thought and every single one was a negative thought about their appearance and I could not believe it and we were all covered in goosebumps and it was that realization that we were all from different walks of life and everything but we all related to something and then both of the women that helped speak afterwards lifted their spirits so much everyone left on such a high we were all crying and I thought this is special this is something that I want to I want to scale up that I want to help as many women as possible feel as good as these women do now and I was on a high for weeks and I was like I want to do it again I want to set up my own charitable foundation I want my own dance space where we can have dance classes but have counseling sessions I want to fund mental health talks I want to give these women what they need I want to create this safe space and a community to build friendships um, and all of that kind of thing and two years later um, the events have gone from 20 people per event to 60 to 80 people um, we've done events in Manchester I've done my first retreat some of my best friends help out and I've made best friends through the events um, and I'm just so grateful for them because I meet so many inspiring and amazing women that I just can't wait to to see what happens Living by halves, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> I think when when you're that passionate about something, and I genuinely believe that my nan is my my like driving force behind it all, mm. and I wear her engagement ring every day, and I genuinely feel like she's around me, and I think because of that, I can't let this fail, and I I don't profit at all from the events. No one does. All the um, I call them my angels that assist me and everything like that. No one no one does it for any other reason than the the love for the events. Uh, we raise money for so many different charities each time and and we also raise money for the sustainable Fa uh, stay sassy foundation um and i just have this goal of of having the stay sassy dance studio and seeing my nan's catchphrase on a building and just having that as her legacy if you know what i mean mm. and what does the stay stay sassy foundation do so at the moment, we're just um, a foundation that supports other charities. So a lot of um, the girls that come to events have suffered a lot of traumas or a lot of things that they've gone through with their mental health. And I allow them, because we have a Facebook community, I allow them to suggest charities that are dear to their hearts or mm. their families' hearts. And every event we support other charities that are close to them. And then the rest of the money is going towards um, a future studio and safe space to have forever to host the events and stuff. Tell us about that, that sounds exciting. Oh, I have so many ideas. <laughs> um, I basically have, have this goal of it um, being a main studio that could also have be divided into four 
Uh, so it can also do yoga classes, workout classes and whatever. I want there to be little rooms where there could be um, massage treatments or anything like that. Or you could have one-to-one counselling sessions, Reiki, anything like that. But most importantly, I want there to be a cafe and coffee shop with amazing fresh ground coffee, different every month, um, recipes with local produce, all fresh food. Um, and I want there to be a little section that sells um, sweet treats and things like that called Sweet Susans after my mum. But just there to be like a safe place where you can go by yourself, take a book, meet people. Um, I want there to be a massive notice board where you can take take an affirmation card and all of these things. And it's just a hub of female positivity and, and a safety net for women to go where they have nowhere else and to just sit and, and feel comfortable. Yeah, that's that's literally everything I do is is the heartbeat pumping into that. So. I think I think you'll make it happen, and I think your nan would be bloody proud of, or yeah. probably is bloody proud of everything, everything you've done. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've cried together. We before. have. Let's we not, have. Let's not let's not do it again. Um, so the business person in me, and I don't know if you agree. I he's getting I've, glassy-eyed as well. Come on, guys, <laughs> pull it together. Um, I t- like so the business person in me is like I'm like you should be making money from these, and I think because I think the more money that you can put into it, the more you'll be able to grow it. I don't mm. know what your, but I suppose it's like. If you're using it as a foundation and money is going into the foundation, I don't know whether everything that comes in, does that go completely 100% out? Um, So a lot of the money for paying for the venues and things like that just comes from, so it started with me investing a lot of money in the beginning, but now any money we earn goes straight back in to stay sassy. Um, So I'm not out of pocket for it, but I earn money in other aspects and, and my main form of income is through brand deals and things like that. So I don't feel the need as of yet to capitalize off of women's insecurities coming to me to uplift their spirits i don't feel like i can take money for that no no, no, i'm not saying that you should take any money from it i think it should almost be the fund it's the kind of charity itself Mm -hmm. should be able to make a profit on the thing but then the profit is then used to do more yeah so to do like almost like if say so much comes in a certain portion could be used to marketing to help other people or to create guides to help these people yeah you basically just scale it rather yeah. than all the money going straight out use it to like multiply that rather than just yeah so every time we donate to another charity it's not always all of the profits from the events it's usually about 50 percent. so after we've paid for the after we paid for the venue and the food etc we then split the profits evenly between the foundation and between the charity of choice and then all of the money that's in that pot at the moment we're deciding what's next mm-hmm. so at the moment we we run the events now like we we've got them down we know exactly yeah. the format of it and um i think we just want to do other things like you said like guides journals all of that kind of stuff that can help the greater good rather than just the people that can come to the events as well and that is the big dream so what you said just a second ago about um you would feel like you were profiting from from women's insecurities like i think this is really important so um because i think a lot of people listening feel a similar way because i talk to creatives all the time that have a kind of guilt behind behind the money so just to clarify like if if you decided to like obviously you've got money coming in from your brand deal so that's cool if those went away and you decided you were going to do the sassy events full time like it's okay to get paid for that and like you don't need to feel a guilt because you're providing an amazing service and everyone that comes to your event they 
they want an experience and they get something incredible and like obviously you've got countless stories of people who literally whose lives have changed because they've come to your events and so that is a beautiful thing and it's okay to get paid to provide that so i think anyone who is working in something that is like quote unquote charitable you don't need to feel bad through if you need to survive and you mm. need to keep a roof over your head it's okay to get paid and and like i i want to because i want to smash that kind of thought that people have around because I'm helping people, I can't get paid for it. Like you absolutely can. And mm. and don't worry if it ever gets to the stage where you want to do it full time, like it's okay to be paid for it. Yeah, yeah, because every single charity in, well, not every single one, but most every big charity has a huge team of people, huge offices that it costs millions and millions of pounds to run those businesses every year. Lots of people are getting paid, people like their CEOs. And they're, and and they're, they're climbing up the corporate ladder yeah. and looking to get a pay rise next year mm -hmm. and yeah. Yeah, because it is a corporate game of by growing that you can help more and more and more people. So it's like it makes sense to be able to kind of take some money from it because then you can just expand it into this huge thing. Like you could be the next cancer research, something of that size for helping everyone that you want to help. Yeah. But that won't happen if it's all too much of it goes out every time. Yeah. It's a, it's a business. All right, we'll stop bullying you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, one thing you mentioned is is the, and it's really poignant, is everyone writing down their their first thoughts in the morning. And you said like, so overwhelmingly they're, they're negative thoughts about what people are thinking about themselves. And I, I've heard you say in the past as well that, that people have written down things like, um, I wish I didn't wake up this morning. Mm -hmm. Like, so really, really um, deep things. Like, I suppose when you get on the tube and you're looking at perfect strangers, like you never know what what anyone's going through. And obviously, overwhelmingly, a lot of people are having these these negative thoughts. How do you how do you combat that? How do you wake up in the morning and think something nice about yourself? And because I because I, I guess what you think about in the morning leads on to the the whole rest of your day. Mm. I think I've got now a little toolbox of things that I do day to day to kind of keep my mental health ticking at a certain level so that I have that base level so that when I slip I can bring myself up so it's not things that I'll do like when I'm down just to lift myself up it's things that I have every day and the, the main thing that I do is before I go to sleep every night um, my boyfriend and I will share three highlights of the day um, one improvement for the next day as well so that for me, even if I've had the worst day, he digs it out of me or I dig it out of myself to find at least three highlights. It makes me reflect over the day and then I see that actually it wasn't so bad. Even if it was something as little as I had a really good sandwich, like I'll still find a positive and then I'll set myself a goal or an intention for the next day. And Give us an example of what a, a goal or an improvement might be. Um, it can be anything from drink more water, be more present, smile at strangers or anything like that. Like that is my favourite one because it's something that my mum's taught me from a very young age. She, she used to go up to people all the time and be like, oh, you've got a lovely dress on. And I'd be, I don't know, eight mortified <laughs> yeah. um, and just so embarrassed. But I see my, my mum in me now so much because I don't do it just to feel good. But when you do... It makes you like at first people are so confused they're like why are you smiling at me and then they'll kind of smile back and then that just small interaction lifts your spirits a bit so it does whenever I'm, I'm in new york doesn't happen in london but wherever i'm in new york someone will be like oh my god i love your jacket man and i'm like oh cool thanks yeah, yeah. And, like, and you're like oh wearing a nice jacket yeah and, <laughs> yeah. and it's so true and like you you never know what that person's going through either and like one smile might lift their spirits yeah. so i'm just really conscious of things like that and and i do a lot of journaling and I write a lot of things down and I, I have a to-do list of things that I do 
purely for my mental health. So I always sit down in the morning with my morning coffee and write things that I have to do for work anyway. But I'll Pinterest a quote and I'll find a quote that sits nicely and write that at the top of the page. Or I'll just check in with how I'm feeling and write down that and things that I'm excited about and always looking at like the abundance around me and focusing on that rather than the things that I could I could find a million and one things to nitpick at myself and things that I need to improve on but I always try and stay in that positive mindset as much as I can yeah because I guess you've you've been there because the whole eating disorder that was you picking on yourself yeah and also music I just I can put on one song and just feel so calm and at home and things like that definitely um, how do you stay motivated as your, because you're, you're your own boss. Mm-hmm. How do you keep discipline in, in everything that you do? Um, I think it's it's all in cycles. I have weeks when I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to do a million things. And I do. And I'm like, yes. And then I'll have a week when I'm like, oh, I can't remember how to spell my name. <laughs> and I think it just, it comes with the fact that I have have no one else telling me what to do. Like I, that I don't really have another choice. If I want it to succeed, then I have to so I've got a massive vision board and it's just a cork board of pictures and words and numbers and things like that um, and anytime I achieve something from that I take it off the board and I stick it in a scrapbook so I have a scrapbook of everything I've done but then I have a board of everything I want and I think seeing that board every day is one thing and then looking back at things that I've done and being like actually you've done this this you've got through this and this um, I think that's kind of my driving force throughout. I think that's really nice because I think people forget what they've done Mm -hmm. and it's nice to be able to have something to look back on and look at those achievements because too many people just live in the present or thinking about what's next they don't actually reflect on the good things that Mm -hmm. have happened. And I suppose I I would argue that that's where the happiness comes is is the reflection on what you have achieved because I think if you're in that constant state of what's next Mm -hmm. then that is very kind of like anxious and jumpy yeah. isn't it yeah well, i know like you get a lot of nos- like nostalgia plays a huge part in happiness so if something reminds you of a child of your childhood thing generally you get this little like nice happy thing or if there's like songs are really good for that if mm-hmm. you hear a song that you haven't heard since you were a teenager that you used to love it just brings back this like little rush of like happiness and so there's definitely a level of nostalgia. you can remember the lyrics to yeah yeah like to rap songs with like yeah. thousands of lyrics where and and you haven't heard it for 10 years and you're just like straight back there it's mad it's, isn't it? it's so mad yeah and i think that going back to music i actually have a happy playlist of songs i think it's only about 15 songs but by song three i feel great because yeah. it's all from summer holidays or girls holidays or anything like that that have brought, brought, brought back so many amazing memories um and another thing that i don't do as regularly as i should do i do quite a lot of volunteering. Um, So I recently, well, about two years ago, I started volunteering at a soup kitchen in Tottenham Court Road. And that just brings you back to reality immediately because any stress or worries that you have, you realise are just all your ego anyway. And by interacting with these amazing people, it just really, really brings you back to reality. And then just before Christmas, my boyfriend and I also volunteered at a super try for children with disabilities. And it's basically the concept of them doing a triathlon, okay. um, but it's totally catered to their abilities. So there was bikes and scooters and and go-karts uh, that they could use. Um, and then you can help them around the track with that. You help them run or walk. And then there's um, volunteers in the pool that would then also help them swim. And it just gave these children with disabilities the the experience of competing in sporting activities where otherwise they wouldn't be able to take part Mm. and we had the most gorgeous little boy called Ollie and it was so bad because every time his parents came over I was like do you mind like he's mine (laughs) Um, because he was so gorgeous and just was so 
excited about the fact that he could do this mm. um and it was just you don't think about anything else it was the most rewarding thing and and humbling thing and and I just I, I love I love doing stuff like that what, what did you take away from that um just the fact that I think also like anything with children like they they say exactly what they think they have zero <laughs> filter and they just get distracted by the smallest things so you really see everything around you because they'll see something and then you'll see it and then you'll run off and, and join in with them um but also little things like when he was getting fitted with his helmet the guy that was in charge of all of the bikes and trikes and everything was like oh you look really cool and he was like yeah well I am cool <laughs> and I was like yeah amazing and, and just little things like that that make you laugh and all those memories I can take away and mm. and I've got a video clip of him stealing my phone and running with it that I'll show you afterwards and and I'll always have that to to watch back and remember yeah. that day and just doing things like that that obviously not everyone has the privilege of time to do that I totally get that but if you can I, I can't I can't recommend it enough. Is it true you like colouring in? I love colouring in. How do you know that? <laughs> Research, baby. Oh, yeah, I love I love anything from... So I, I did quite a lot of art at school. Um, so there's a pottery painting place near me as well that I love going to because everyone in there is seven and you watch people come and go. They paint their monkeys and leave and I'll be in there for hours. Um, I went with my boyfriend and my friend Jazz recently and um, we just sat for ages and just painted pottery and you just... No, nothing bothers you other than being creative and mm. enjoying enjoying that moment and it's the same with coloring in books um you can get adult ones now or disney ones or harry potter ones or anything like that and i, I just i love that it just really makes you stop and decide what color you want to use yeah <laughs> i think we were talking about this recently weren't we how I, th I think we were actually talking about the new pokemon game yeah but it's that um way of just like kind of like just clearing your mind like mm -hmm. it's, it's not taxing it's just kind of like real mindfulness i suppose of just being there and you just get in this flow and your mind just stops worrying about anything you stop caring about work and everything else that's going on around you and just to be creative mm -hmm. is so like freeing yeah and i feel like i'm quite lucky because my whole life i've had that whereas a lot of people don't find that until a bit later on and then they're like whoa this is amazing it's yeah. so nice to be able to just let time go by and not have to stress about anything. I think also we're so worried about um, reaching targets for work or assignments for uni or things like that. And you're constantly pushing and pushing and pushing for the next thing that we very rarely kind of sit back in that in that sense of nothingness and doing mm. nothing for no other reason than for Absolutely. yourself. Yeah. And I've got friends that do cross stitch. I've got friends that knit. Um, and and I, I think to have something like that and to search for something like that, if you don't have one already, is so important yeah and something like a coloring in book is just it's so accessible to everyone yeah and like most people can color in mm -hmm. so it's a great place to start for anyone who's looking for that for that thing i know my brother's old girlfriend did exactly that like mm. yeah she got a coloring book and that would be a great thing for the evening to yeah do. i think just something to challenge your mind even like i used to love um i can't say it but sudokus yeah, yeah sudoku. i used to love them yeah, yeah um and i recently got a sudoku book because i've not done it in years or like puzzles or um i am also a massive fan of candy crush i would oh, probably no. say i'm a candy <laughs> crush addict just it really calms me like if everyone's feeling anxious it is a form of meditation because i'm just swiping away candy. and crushing those <laughs> candies <laughs> so the secret to happiness gratitude hard work and always making time for some creativity. Mm -hmm, definitely. Thing we've nailed it. Yeah. I thought you were going to throw a Candy Crush in there as a joke. <laughs> oh, and, and, yeah, and playing Candy Crush. I'm not sure. No, I don't <laughs> think that fits. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? 
something my dad said has sat with me for a very long time and I hope I say this right because otherwise he's going to kill me but um the saying that he told me is there's doing things right and there's doing the right thing and that's not always the same and for so long I didn't know what that meant but recently with friends with business colleagues or whatever I've I've really realized that that is probably the best piece of advice or quote that I've probably ever been told. Is there a way that it's manifested for you? Um, I think in other people's actions, I can now become aware of that quote a little bit more so I can see when people are doing things right rather than doing the right thing. Um, and it just makes me a lot more conscious before I make certain decisions, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I guess it, it strikes me with with your business and how you post online and everything like that you've you've got really kind of clear intentions that are very kind of positive and to to always uplift and to always be spreading positivity I guess yeah and I I think also through that um I've been very fortunate that that's kind of the environment I've been raised in like if if you were to meet my mum you'd, you'd know she's exactly the same um and I think just learning that your morals aren't always aligned with other people's and you can't expect everyone to always think in the same way as you that's been a massive reality check for me as well so from having that and protecting myself a little bit more it stops me from being disappointed almost well amazing to chat to you as always thank Um, you so much for having me where can people find you online uh, on YouTube it, and Instagram and Twitter, it's just Steph Ellswood. And then if you want to know about Stay Sassy or Sustainable, then go to sustainable.co.uk. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you get any value from these episodes, it would mean the world to us if you could share the podcast with someone who needs it. You can always reach out to us on Instagram at rebelscreate or head over to creativerebels.co. And remember, always be creating. See ya.